1: Today is the day you will lose fat. Come see Dr.
2: T at NJ Diet. Easiest diet I've ever done. It's changed my life. Come see Dr. T. Using blood work and DNA testing. 1 855 5 NJ Diet and NJDiet.com. Change your life in only 40 days with NJ Diet. Smith & Wesson, after Raw, Star, De La Soul, Eminem, Flip Mode Squad, MOP, OC, Royce The Five Nine, Raz Diamond D, Pete Rock, Tyler McCauley, Freddie Fox, Gene Gray, and Naughty by Nature. Just some of the artists my next guest has worked with. He's Evil D from the legendary producing team, The Beat Miners, and I want to welcome him to the library with Tim Monaco. Thanks for joining me,
1: man. Hey, thanks for having me here. You know what I'm saying?
2: That's awesome. Ah, this is truly an honor. Um, So, uh, you know, one of the first things I read about you is that, you know, you and your brother, Mr. Walt, grew up in a very musical family. I think Mm -hmm. the quote your brother says in an interview is the first record in his collection was Diana Ross Presents the Jackson Mm 5. When thinking back to kind of the creating the the beat miners um, and all that you guys have done, how what's the importance of having this broad range of musicality? Uh, For what you have to do in terms of you know creating albums or creating tracks or creating instruments
1: Well, it it definitely helps you think outside the box like, you know with me um, I I like to you know my stuff that I create is more musical Mm -hmm. and that's because I don't just listen to one thing Like I have different references like when you produce when you're a hip-hop producer You're supposed to think outside the box, right? Because you listen to funk jazz rock soul just to find that particular sample you Know what I'm saying, and being that like my, you know, the music that I grew up with was so diverse, so crazy, mm-hmm. it you know, it helped me a lot. Like, that's why, like, my vast knowledge of records mm. is the way it is, you know.
2: Uh, thinking of that, I mean, I this is a question kind of to skip ahead, but mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, you obviously grew up at a time, and Black Moon grew up at a time, Smith and Weston grew up at a time where where rap wasn't the genre you mm-hmm. know like you know i mean, even me like you know i remember z100 in new york being happy or excited to say absolutely no rap music here you know that type of big mm-hmm. deep voiceover um today you have a generation and even a little generation before us growing hip-hop artists growing up on hip-hop growing up on mm-hmm. rap um is how do you think the music has changed um Musically but also lyrically, if you if you if you can, about how has it changed when you have a bunch of a peop- bunch of artists growing up on rap music versus like Stevie Wonder or Marvin Gaye or Dinah Ross?
1: Well, what has happened now is hip hop has become more it's like you know it's you know what it is, you lose the experimental phase. Mm. You know, like um back when I produced my first album, which was the Black Moon album. Um, you know, we like I said, I my musical influences is crazy, and as you listen to that album, it reflects that. Uh, a lot of the cats that grew up in hip hop, all they heard was beats and mm-hmm. rhymes, so it's like they grew up in that. And you know, everybody thinks it's just beats and rhymes. Actually, you know, it's actually more than that. You know what I'm saying? Like this isn't just something that, you know, like I always tell people like this. When it comes to hip hop, this is just something that yo, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make a record today. Right. No, this is something that you like. It's like a, this is like a lifestyle to me. You know what I'm saying? I wake up in the morning. I don't put on this gear because oh, it's my hip hop gear. Right. Right. This is what I wear. You know. And it's like a lot of pe, a lot of the artists nowadays. It's like I don't know. Like they think they think hip hop is something else. Right. Now here's one thing I will say is I'm not mad at anybody. Like, you know, you create how you create. You're going to create your way, I'm going to create my way. But I think that one of the one of the problems I have with music today is a lot of the cats also don't like old records, don't like older music. Right. And I feel that that's wrong. You have to know your history to know you know you you got to know your past and know your future. Right. You know what I'm saying? So as that um,
2: speaking i mean uh, speaking of um and, uh, uh, obviously the b miners is just and you look at your just, just instrumentals it's mm-hmm. like you Thank know you. A, a array of like sampling sound effects mm-hmm. you know you do guys do incredible things, and then you see the b minors as it's it's a group it's like it's not you know you, you know as a growing up as a kid. Uh, you know, whatever eleven in nineteen eighty-eight, probably. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know hip hop groups, you know rap groups. You yeah. don't know much about uh, DJ groups, so to say, producing mm-hmm. groups. Um, so why did why why were the Beatminers, Miners the B Miners started, and uh, why did you guys need to f- kind of have the feel to be a DJ slash producing collective?
1: Well, oh, first of all, it's two different things. You have the beat minor DJs, and you have beat miners. Right. The beat miners consist of myself and my brother, Mr. Walt. And you know, we had past members, which is um baby Paul, uh Chocolate Ty and Rich Black. I'm saying shout out to them, that's my people, that's my people's for life.
2: Right.
1: Um and it's like um me and Walt, well, we're we're brothers. We're three years apart. Right. So when we was born, the beat miners was born, like we, you know, we played instruments back in the days. Like, I, I know how to play the drums. I learned how to play the drums. My brother learned how to play the drums also. Um, then we learned the piano. And, like, me, I, like, one of my talents is I could, if I sit down with 10 minutes with any instrument, I could play it. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> and it's like, um, that's the th- like, that's the advantage we grew up with. At the same time, we grew up hearing every Jamaican record ever at that time. And James Brown.
2: Wow. Nice. You know nice. what wow. I'm
1: saying? And then and you know, the thing with our West Indian um parents is they'll like the, the duttiest uh Jamaican records, the craziest Jamaican records, and listen to like something crazy. Like my mom's listen to all the ill Jamaican records and then listen to Kenny Rogers. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is with, with West Indian with West Indian cast, but that's how it is. Right. They'll listen to the illest records and then listen to like Britney Spears. And Britney Spears <laughs> would tear the party up. So, um, I grew up with that. Like, I grew up listening to that and, like, country music. And and I, I don't even like country music like that. Right. But, you know, it is what it is. Right. Um listening to pop stuff. And, you know, but back then, the pop stuff back then ain't like the pop stuff now. So,
2: right.
1: the, the pop stuff back then was more soulful. But, um, you know... It's, it's, you know, it's just, I mean, well, as, as growing up, that's how our musical taste formed, right. you know. And when we started making records, because, you know, we was, you know, of course, living in Brooklyn, we experienced hip-hop early. Um, when we started making records, it was a whole different ball game. Like, you know, my whole thing was everybody was on the drum. It was just a drum break and like a loop, mm-hmm. like a James Brown loop, whatever i will, I was like no i 'm going to bring vibes out, and that 's like who got the props right when it came out, it was different you know, and that 's another thing I will say you know c- going back to that question you asked me before, older artists are not afraid to be different
2: push down yeah
1: the records of today you know i don 't know if it's my older age or whatever, but it 's now all sounding the same to me
2: no it 's not your older age, because I feel the same way because okay. i've been to a i've been to a i think we're probably around the same age, but i 've been to a show. And obviously probably the oldest person, one of the oldest people in the crowd. And the DJ's going and uh, playing. she's playing different different tracks Mm -hmm. and she switches to a different song, same beat. But everyone in the audience goes nuts. As if like, I don't know, she split the atom and DJ, you know, and it Mm -hmm. was one of those moments where, I was like, I'm, am I just my ears going? Like, what's going on? Well, she didn't do anything different. It's the yeah. same track over and over again, and it's, it's, and, and it's just crazy. interesting. Um, you, you talk about you, you talk about your your gift of being able to play an instrument. You know, you play. Uh, I read you piano, violin, guitar, bass, organ, drums, mm-hmm. and then at the age of seven, you learned turntables. Yeah. Um, you're now obviously a legendary DJ. Mm-hmm. What was it? Uh what was it what was it about the turntable that spoke to a 7-year-old um evil D not these other instruments and also and just to be further with it why not for you graph or b-boying or even emceeing? I did all that oh
1: but as an mc um number one I never liked my voice number two I knew there was mc's way better than me so I knew not to go there graph um I used to write my mother ended my career, you know, seeing me write. Uh, um, and somebody had parked a, a truck outside my house, and me and my neighbor down the block, who, who's my writing partner, we seen that white truck. Later on that night, we came out, and we did it. Oh, we we <laughs> rode on the truck. We, we threw, threw a big piece on the truck. And the next day, my moms looked at the truck and seen Evil D. Oh, I know who that is. Oh, no. And that was the end of my career. Uh, Quick. Um, You you were obviously nice um, at this. Yeah, Yeah, I was. Uh, um, B-boying, breakdancing, b-boying. I tried it. I wasn't nice. But here's the funny thing. I'm a member of Rocksteady. But I'm a member of the Rocksteady DJs. Ah, nice. Um, (laughs) Which, you know, I was all right with it. You know, Um, like all the elements I've tried. And DJing is where my heart is at Now with DJing What made me DJ was jealousy My brother, Mr. Walt Was DJing at Black Party And I seen him DJing and by, Oh my god, yo, he's so dope I was like, no, I'm better than him <laughs> And what I started doing was I would go downstairs like He would leave with his friends mm-hmm. I would run downstairs and start DJing And put everything back And then when he comes back would be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> So, you know, that's how I learned. By listening to what he was doing with his friends and copying that. And then when he would leave, I would learn that and then put my own spin on it. Mm. Then also listening to um, Red Alert, Chuck Chill Out, and Mr. Magic, um, R.I.P., and Marley. Mm. Like, those cats right there influenced me. Like, Marley was more... Like, Marley was a technique... Like, he was a DJ that... He... Um, rocked with technology. Mm. Red Alert, Chuck Chill Out was more of the yo, we're gonna throw the record on. Like they, they have perfect timing. And I learned that by listening to them and also listening to um Chef Pettibone. Chef Pettybone, he was on he was on KISS FM. Like this dude would um do blends and Tony Humphreys they like Tony Humphreys blends was incredible. Incredible, incredible. And you like Listening to all these dudes is how I got my style. And also, you know, for my brother, of course.
2: You you, you talk and you said listening versus watching, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that just goes kind of for me into this, how, I mean, uh, you as an artist, your mind works in Mm -hmm. obviously ways that people probably can't fathom. Yeah, Uh, Like you're seeing, you're listening to someone, you know, Mm -hmm. do something, but you're even though you're hearing him on the radio, you're you you, you could see him visually in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then I read more about you and 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 about this amazing creative mind, and I'm like, so how did he know to uh, pour water to create uh, on the sound for the remix of the Roots Silent Treatment? Oh, like how, <laughs> do, the, like, how do you
1: even think of that? You know what's funny? <laughs> the way we are as humans, we react like there's certain sounds that are soothing to us. The sound of pouring water is soothing. Right. And believe it or not, when I made the mix, I was like, yo, I want this is dope. But it has to be something in there that people can relate to. Like in most of my records, there's something you can relate to. And yo, I was I, I actually was sitting in D studios and we was drinking we was drinking water. And it's clicked in my head, yo, try pouring water. And I went on I biked up the um I set up the mic. I poured water into into another pitcher, poured it back, poured it back a couple of times, listened to it, and sampled it. And you know. know, like little subtle things like that works. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it soothes your mind. Like your your mind will be like, you I heard this before. Right. It sounds familiar." It's like rain. If you put rain, if you just play rain, people know the sound of rain. It'll calm them down. Right. Nice. You know. So that's the whole thing with that. Like I've done crazy stuff. Like I've. The, I've made rice. I put rice in um, oatmeal cans and sugar them on records, and it works. I did a House of Pain remix called um, "Over There Ish," and I um, mic'd up my doorbell in my house.
2: <laughs> nice, you know stuff like that. Is this stuff that's uh, for you? Is it? Is it? Is it kind of planned? Is, are these stuff planned out, or is it like one of those? I remember I interviewed uh, DJ Newmark. Um, he, he's one of my favorites, by the way. And he talks about, but he talks about this like. Um, he was doing us, it's when he did one of the first albums with uh, Slim Kid Trey, yeah. and we were just kind of talking, and I was like, well, how do you know that? Like, how do you know to put the mm-hmm. just door over there? And, and he talks about a Sixth Sense type yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: you just feel it. It's like it's like um, when I'm working on a beat, I'll make the foundation, and once I make the foundation, I'll go, okay, you know what? Let me see what blah, blah, blah adds to it. Like, if it's, if it's Black Moon, let me see what Buckshot and 550 adds to this. And once they add something, that that'll make me go back to the lab and go, all right. Hmm. Mm. Let me add this, let me add that. Like, one thing with myself now, I play more on the records. Like before I used to sample a whole lot. I still sample, let's not get it twisted, but right. I play more and I chop a lot. I chop a lot of samples. Mm. And on like even with the new Black Moon album that's coming out now um there's samples on there of course but i'm playing also so that's why it has the sound it has it's a it's back to the drums the hard drums the heavy bass lines and the ill samples you know and um the reason i did it like that was because that's what's missing right that's what i'm looking for in my music like i'm looking for in my hip-hop like hip-hop in general you know, I could tell people, yo, you need to do this, you need to do that, let me do it, and then I could go, no, make it like this, you know. Right. And hopefully it'll start people doing that back again.
2: Why do you, you know? why do you think you talk about sampling, but why do you think less people sample today? I mean, is it is it something that was taught, is I mean something that they were just not taught not to sample? Is it more of kind of maybe being scared of a lawsuit? Uh yeah. you know, a little bit of both?
1: What it is is yes yeah, a little bit of both. Um the people, the original artists, they look at that and they go, oh, a million dollars. Right. So they think that they're going to make a million dollars off of you sampling them, which is wrong. Because music doesn't make, like selling music isn't making money like it used to.
2: Right.
1: Um, the whole thing is, number one, a lot of rec companies don't want you to sample because they don't want to go through clearing it. Number two, a lot of artists was like, look, I want my publishing for myself. Me, I feel like, yo, I'm going to. Pay for what I use, you know. Mm-hmm. So I might as well go all out. If you're giving me this platform to do what I gotta do, I don't mind spending the money, right? As long as I get good quality music from it, you know. But a lot of cats are scared to sample because they don't want to pay the price. A lot of, you know, like it's a lot of things. There's no such thing as a sample law because they buy. Oh, it's a sample law. Right. no nah. yeah. So no such thing as a sample law. <laughs> what it is is you sample something, you pay for it, and companies don't want you to sample. Like if they looked at the new black moon album right now, they'll be like, yo, this guy's crazy. This guy's really crazy over here. But you know, you have things like now, like for artists, I mean, for producers, you have things like track Lib mm-hmm. that, um, help you clear samples easier. And some artists get it. Like George, George Clinton gets it. Right. George Clinton, like he clears samples. So it's so easy to clear a George Clinton sample. It's not even funny you know what i'm saying
2: cuz i mean they when they when you say get it they get it cuz they understand that i oh, hope ideally people will start listening back to the original piece or kind mm-hmm. of
1: or, or helps or also helps his, his yeah. legacy like george clinton gets it because hip hop saved him just like hip hop saves um james brown God, rest of the dead. right like yo no one's thinking about james brown like that until sampling really started blowing up. And that's the truth. Man. Sampling has brought a lot of cats back from the dead. And, you know, a lot of people appreciate it, then you have some people who, they don't get it. You know? Like, most of the time, a lot of people appreciate it, though. Mm. But, you know, you got a lot of people out there that are, that are greedy sure. and just waiting. You know?
2: Um. You know, I think prior prior to you getting here, I asked you how'd you get here. You said I took a train from Bushwick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been there, obviously, for yeah, a been long to Bush- time. Oh, your life. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Washington Heights, and I know that neighborhood. Right. I have not been there; it's too expensive to live there anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I know that has changed a boatload uh, for you. How has how has Bushwick changed? Oh, and also from an art, art from an art point of view, and influence. Uh, how do you think your music? Having the same I mean Having the same Family dynamic where That you grew up Listening to all this music And having your music alley But from the neighborhood Point of view If you grew up now How do you think Or would you Do you think your music Would be different Than <laughs> from And I know that's a Loaded question I guess But uh, I mean Have you ever Thought how it would be Different at that time
1: My music would be Different now Because it would be Easy listening hip hop mm. Because when I walk Out my house right now Everybody's like Hi neighbor Hello Hi <laughs> And, like, you know, I'm a property owner, so I ain't going nowhere. Right. And I won't sell. So they hate me. Oh, yeah. must say, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, back in the days, you know, the neighborhood was the neighborhood. Bushwick was the hood. Nobody wanted to come to Bushwick. Why? For what? To buy some drugs? You know what I'm saying? Because that's what we had out there. Right. You know, we had the best. Well, I'm not going to say it on the podcast, Mm -hmm. but there was there was some big things going on in Bushwick drug wise. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would come out there to get their drugs. And, you know, it was a lot of a lot of killings. And, you know, Bushwick was crazy. All of a sudden, like at the end of like the early 2000s, it's like Bushwick started cleaning up. And I'm like, whoa, something's going on. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, once you if you live near a train station. Like a junction or whatever, and they start fixing up that junction. Like to us, uh, Nickelbaca Avenue, no Myrtle Ave, and Wyckoff, That's a junction. Right. When they start fixing that up, when I seen, uh, when I seen Starbucks putting a store right uh, there. Yeah, over. I knew what time it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I went up on Wyckoff to Halsey Street train station, where I'm from. I mean, where I take the train, and I seen they was fixing that little area up. All right, there's something going on here. There's a hotel here now. Okay, yeah. You know, you know what time it is. Right. Wow. So, like my neighborhood went from being, like the houses was not expensive, and the rent was was good, to now they're like three thousand dollars for an apartment.
2: Crazy. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: Like really, like the people who used to live there can't even live there no more. You know, and I feel bad for the people coming out of jail, and they're coming home and they're like, "Where's my home?" Right. You know. Yeah, no, it's, it's real. So it's crazy.
2: Uh, I want to take you back to uh, uh, 1997. Okay. Um, so so I grew up, so just the background is I grew up in Washington Heights. I went to school in East Harlem. Uh-huh. Um, loved, you know, anywhere from Guns N' Roses to uh, Public yeah. Enemy to, yeah. I'll tell you later, Self Destruction song. I know entirely by heart and I presented mm-hmm. it in sixth grade, which I don't really, I, I don't know what I presented, but I presented in sixth grade. <laughs> um, but then there was a moment where I kind of, Fell out of love with hip hop for a little bit. Like I thought yeah. it was too. For me, I think there was a political part of it. It was too bling blingy, so to mm-hmm. say. Um, but then Black Star came out with an album. Sound bombing mm-hmm. began. Ruckus Records and I started to love hip hop again. Yeah. Uh, and I did a radio show in college based on kind of that. Uh, you are obviously the intro track and the Thank mix you. of sound. Bombing, Thank you. Uh, and to this day, Evo D is on the mix. Just kick, on, it. kick it. Yeah, uh, is in my head all the time. <laughs> um, looking back, um, what do you think the significance of uh, the sound bombing era was, or the 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 the, uh, the tapes or the records to and, and and Ruckus Records at the same time? Mm-hmm. But also, uh, what were the, what were their influence to hip hop and hip hop culture, but also to the artists that were. On those albums,
1: um, one thing I'll say is this. First of all, let's start off like this. I'm gonna tell you the beginning of sound bombing. Sound bombing began as me being a fan of Raucous Records and Brian and Jarrett, who was the owners of Raucous Records, trying to pick my brain because Raucous Records was formed because of Nervous Records. Mm. They seen how Nervous and Black Moon operated, and they was like, "Yo, we need to make a label like that." Like, cause when Raucous first came out, Rockus, they did rock, they did rock, mm. and they did like techno records. Like they was they was bugging, and all of a sudden, like they just started doing hip hop. Like they seen how Nervous Records was rolling, mm. and they started doing hip hop records. Um, and when they looked at, I mean, when they looked at um, Nervous, they seen how Black Moon and Michael Weiss was operating. Little did they know with nervous Michael Weiss comes from the Weiss family, which is a very a family that's very deep in in the industry mm-hmm. there's different he got different uncles and cousins and people that are in the industry that like they're legendary, even his father, guy rest dead Sam Weiss had the biggest independent distribution company sam I wasn't a Sam Distribution, I think? No, Wind Distribution. Mm-hmm. Wind Distribution. He had a label called Sam Records, but it was Wind Distribution. And, you know, when I did retail, this was one of the companies I used to order from all the time. Now, Raucus, when they seen, you know, yo, it's Evil D, you know, they, they hired a lot of ex-nervous employees. Mm-hmm. And I put out an a, a independent record for my house, um, Shades of Brooklyn, when it rains, it pours and change, and that record was blowing up. So... When they seen how I was selling that record straight from my house, and I sold like 100,000 records, incredible. Wow. Yeah. they was like, whoa, well, um, wait a minute. How's he doing this? So I had a meeting with Raucous. And then now here's the funny thing. My brother sees Brian and Jarrett somewhere, and he's like, yo, I would love to do a record on Raucous. Yo, because you guys are incredible. <laughs> And they're like, yo, no problem. Yo, beat mine is worth <laughs> dope. So I'm having this meeting with them, and I was like and I told them, I said, look, I love what y'all are doing over here. I wanna make a mixtape of raucous records, just raucous records. Give me a bunch of records, give me access to your artists. I wanna make this tape and it's gonna be dope. Cause there was a convention coming up. I forgot which convention it was. Mm-hmm. And I said, Yo, um, I got some I got mad time at D and D. Just come to D&D As a matter of fact, come by tonight Invite a couple cats through And we just gonna make this tape And that's what happened It was one night um, Everybody came through And I recorded freestyles R.A. The Rugged man. um I recorded uh, Blackstar Did I record a blackstar freestyle? Yeah Blackstar, like I recorded a bunch of stuff And then I sat down Sort of putting this tape together I went and got acetates cut so I could blend everything. <clears throat> and I um put this tape together. <clears throat> and Brian and Jack was like, how much do you want for this tape? I was like, yo, it's a free giveaway. Just give me like, I said, yo, you know what? I charge, I charge you $500. Boom, 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 did the exchange. A week later, Brian and Jared calls me and goes, yo, we was listening to the tape and in my mind I'm like, "Oh, here we go. <laughs> they don't like it." Oh, he's listening to the tape and we love it so much we want to put it out. I'm like, "Nah, don't put that out. You crazy?" <laughs> nah, nah, evil, yo. It it sounds just like one of your street tapes that you got out there. Yo, and it sounds like you on Hot 97 cuz I was on Hot 97 yeah. at the time. Yo, this is incredible. We want to put it out. And I was like, "Nah, nah. Don't do that." And it was like, "No, for real." Yo, come by the office, let's talk about it. I go to the office, we sit down and we talk, we negotiate terms, they give me an advance, it was a cheap advance, I think it was like $10,000 advance, and it was like, yo, we're going to give you points, we're going to give you royalties, and blah, 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 blah. Right. All right. They put sound bombing out, right, and it explodes. Right. And I'm like, but people like that? <laughs> I said, yo, my mixtapes. And then I said, my mixtapes do sell like crazy. Wait a minute. And what ended up happening was, yo, it blew up. This was the only album that Ruckus ever did where they collected royalties. On their other albums, they overspent, overspent, overspent. This was the first album they made money back. So they was like, they was bugging, like, yo, we need you to do part two. And I was like, No. I said, what you should do, just get some other DJs to do the other parts. Right. I said, yeah, I did part one, I'm done. Yeah. It's like, no, well, you know, I'm like, no, 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 that's it. I said, I'm not gonna kill myself, It'd be like doing part 97 where people don't wanna hear me no right, more. Right, right, right. And so that's what happened with, what's and here's, here's the funny thing, to this day, I have not received no royalties from them. From it. them. Yeah, wow. to this day, you know, but it's cool. The album is a historic album. And people love it, and I'm glad. You know, it wasn't intended to come out, and it's funny because I, I told this story on OK Player. I was like, it wasn't intended to come out, but it came out, and people loved it.
2: And imagine, I mean, you feel like you were with that album alone. I mean, responsible for, I mean, launching a lot of people's.
1: Yeah, and that's the crazy yeah. part. Like, I was just making a tape, right? Like, but that's the power of mixtapes, you know? Like, um, and and it's funny because that tape was like one of the first official mixtapes made the way it was made. Mm-hmm. And from there, everybody just started making mixtapes and bugging out and, you know, but it was cool. Like, you know, it, it sold a lot and it didn't cost Raucus anything because most of it was records they had, right. They didn't have to pay for the studio time. Cause it was my, it was on my dime and yo, like, you know, it's, that was it. Like, and Brian and Jarrett still owe me money to this day.
2: <laughs> is there a, uh, a kind of a, looking back of recording all, you know, R.A. and uh, Blackstar? And is there a kind of is there one artist that you were kind of pleasantly surprised by in terms of like his or her lyricism? Yeah,
1: but no, I wasn't I wasn't surprised at anybody because um, I already knew R.A. was dope because I've been a fan of R.A.'s before that. Um, Talib and most I've been heard them, um, right? I knew they was crazy. Like, everybody who I worked with was dope, so I, I wasn't surprised. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you know, like, like I said, right at the time, Rawkis was about the music. Then, you know, when they started, you know, like the whole trying to be deaf Jam, that's what killed
2: them, right? Yeah, no, like,
1: you know, and Rawkis, like, one thing I, t- I remember going to Japan. And Raucous was the first label that I seen. I went to the store, and they had their own bin. And it was like everybody had like the group bin. You had the Black Moons. You had the Buster. You had the Tribe Called Quest. And you had Raucous. And I remember hitting them up and going, Yo, guys, whatever y'all doing right now, keep doing it, because this is what's making y'all legendary. Right. And what happened was they got blinded by the money coming in. Like every all the big dudes had houses in the Hamptons, so Ruckus went and got a house in the Hamptons. And then I remember when I got when I got my deal with them, they wanted to give me a Ruckus chain, a platinum chain with diamonds on it. And I told them, I said, look, if you give me that chain, I'm gonna take pictures with y'all up here, and we're gonna ha 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 and he he he. As soon as I walk out of here, I'm gonna pawn it and go buy records. So. I don't think you should do this. I said, if you wanna give me something, give me money to go buy go buy studio equipment. Right. I said, don't give me a chain, because I'm not a chain I don't rock chains like that. And at the time I had a bunch of gold chains, but I was rocking that for the two turntables and a mic video shoot we mm-hmm. was doing. So you know, but the Rockets dudes like they started success this mess they it derailed them. If they would have stayed with what they did, they would still be here. It would be a raucous, it would be like duck down is still here.